0: Hello, friends, and welcome to the Robcast. This one is called The Importance of Boredom. And uh, this one, this is... I ha- I seriously, in thinking about this episode, The Importance of Boredom, I kept thinking if I could, like, take my heart... I pictured it like a bucket, like I could tilt it and just pour it <laughs> into this microphone that I'm using here because this has become such... An important and, and fascinating uh, thing I've been exploring. And uh, so I'm gonna talk about the importance of boredom in just a second, but um, first I have a new book coming out. It comes out May 16th, it's called, What is the Bible? And the subtitle is, How an Ancient Library of Poems, Letters and Stories Can Transform the Way You Think and Feel About Everything. And uh, I am, uh, yeah, I'm really, really thrilled for you to read this book. And uh, you can pre-order it at robell.com and get some bonus content that's not in the book itself. And then I'm going to do a short bookstore tour. So Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, Seattle, Portland, Denver, Minneapolis, and, wait for it, Ohio. Ohio, I'm coming your way. I'm bringing the love. Prepare thyself. (laughs) Uh, And all bookstore tour info is at robbell.com as well oh and then um my friend pete holmes and i are doing a show april 17th at largo and those of you who have been uh that's a club here in la Uh, those of you who've been to the shows that pete and i do i i would try to describe it but um if there's any way you can be there it's just always a good time we'd love to have you so those are a couple things that are going on, and uh, now I want to talk about the importance of boredom, and I want to talk about the selective nature of perception. I want to talk about the DMV. Uh, I want to talk about something that's happened to me starting in December, and uh, we'll talk about a passage from the Psalms, and uh, there we go. So that's what we're going to cover here in the next few moments. Um, and here's what I mean by boredom. By boredom, I don't mean the boredom that I wrote about in how to in my book, How to Be Here, where I talked about boredom as a spiritual disease. Um, that, that boredom is a spiritual disease of not believing there's in, anything interesting to create or make here. Boredom as a posture towards creation. Um, and in How to Be Here, I did a whole thing about that. I'm not talking about that kind of boredom. I'm talking about a different kind of boredom. And that kind, this kind of boredom I want to talk about and the importance of boredom, you'll probably have a better word for. So sometimes I just give it a word knowing that you'll come up with some better way to talk about it um, probably yourself. But here's what I mean. The kind of boredom I'm talking about, the importance of the boredom that I'm talking about is that gap. And here's the gap. The gap is related to your phone and to your technology. You know that moment... When you uh, you have a doctor's appointment and you check in at the front desk and then they say, um, once you have a seat, the doctor will be with you in a minute. And so you go and you sit down, you look at the coffee table to see if there's any interesting magazines. If there aren't any interesting magazines, what do you do? Right, exactly, right? Because you're like all the rest of us. You tilt your head down and up comes your cell phone or you're waiting for your kid and your kid's piano lesson is going to be another three minutes and you're standing there and you realize oh I've got three minutes what do you do out comes the cell phone or you're in a restaurant and the person that you're eating with goes to the restroom and you look around for a second and then what do you do yeah if you're like the rest of us you pull out your phone Or you'll see a whole family at a restaurant, three tables over, and there's a lull in the conversation, and each one of them pulls out their phone. So what I want to talk about is this thing that has developed in the modern world, where when we get that gap, that split second, that minute, that three minutes, that lull, that space... We now have this machine in our pocket or purse that we can pull out and it connects us with a thousand different things to fill in all those little gaps that we have all throughout the day. Are you with me on this? And here's the thing. It's great that we have news and photos of our friends' puppies and things that you need for your house that you can buy with one click. Exact, Wonderful, wonderful. But I also think it's doing something really, really destructive. And so I want to explore the importance of boredom and the importance of in those moments, sometimes not filling those little gaps, those little spaces with more digital stimuli, but just sitting in the quiet and in that space and not filling your eyes, ears, brain, but just letting yourself listen and be calm and still. And the the reason why I tell you this is Uh, last November, I finished this tour. And I'd spent a lot of time last year on airplanes and hotels and talking to people. Um, Lots and lots of times, lots of hours with a microphone in front of a crowd of people. And then afterwards, talking to people and answering questions and doing all that kind of thing. And by the end of last November, I was cooked. I actually, actually think I even did a Robcast episode about this. And it was the end of a season, because seasons come and seasons go, and some seasons are high output. You talk, you give, you serve, you go, you and then other seasons, you don't. you go off the grid, you go underground, you go quiet. Uh, there is this Eucharist rhythm to creation, that your body is broken and your blood is poured out for the healing of the world, for the healing of others, because that's your gift, the you are a good gift. You are a Eucharist. But then there have to be these seasons when the body is put back together and the blood is poured back in. And if you don't have this Eucharist rhythm to your life, inevitably, without question, you will begin to dance with despair. That's just how it works. You can't keep up a life with no rhythm. Just go, 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 go. No one can do it. No one could do it. Can't be done. And, uh, so I knew at the end of November, oh, that we've ended a season. And I had been talking about that material, the how to be here material for, for like a year. And then it was time to be done talking about that and to go away and, you know, cook the whole thing back up again. (laughs) And, uh, I also knew that I needed, Kristen would talk about going off the grid. She'd be like, yeah, you need, you need to, uh, yeah, you need to you need to be quiet. You need to leave at some level. And, um, so I started, um, not carrying my cell phone with me and not using my phone till late in the day. Um, I started not using, doing, checking email till, uh, I think that by the, by the beginning of November, I was like, I'm not going to look at email till four o'clock for just, I had some window of time. I'll look at email at that time. Um, whatever I can do in that time I'll do otherwise tough. And, uh, I essentially made this decision to leave Screenland and, uh, you know, Screenland, right? Cause you have a passport of whatever country you were born in, but you are a citizen of Screenland. We now all are right. Screens are everywhere. And, uh, and I realized for some, for some people like their work, like when they wake up in the morning, how they feed their family is to be connected. So I get that. But for me, I had finished a season of hyper connected and, uh, So I was um, spending most of the day in silence and um, totally untethered. And all of these things that had happened in the year began to float to the surface. Uh, Events, conversations, interactions, that in the moment you deal with them, but you keep going because you know how life is, you have to get to the next thing. Uh, But when I created all of this space and intentionally created all of this gap and uh, let's use the word boredom, all of this stuff started to float to the surface that had been down in there. But when you just keep moving, and you just keep filling those gaps it never ever ever has or has it to the surface your perception is selective that's how we get through the day this is good this is good if our perception wasn't selective think about it just in the course of an average conversation or walking down the street how many noises how many visual uh images. Think about if you're at work and there are phones ringing, if you're, uh, you've are you got little kids that you're raising and you've got all of the stuff that they need, and then you've got your neighbors and you've got the things that aren't working in the house or the apartment, you've got uh, phone calls, you've got all of these things coming in. One of the things that has allowed us to survive as a species is we only focus in on a few things at a time because otherwise we would be overwhelmed and we would shut down. We would get apple, rainbow, death wheel. So perception at one level is an evolutionary survival trait that is absolutely integral to our survival. If all of the sensory stimuli that was coming at you, you were to try and process in the exact second that it came to you, your brain would overheat and probably explode. The problem is, and this is good, the problem is you and I are having all of these interactions and all of this stimuli that is coming at us. And if we don't create spaces where it can get the expression and the processing that it needs, then it's all in there somewhere. All the awkward, painful, tense, traumatic, joyous, terrifying, maddening then it all stays in there and it often expresses itself in all sorts of other ways. Sometimes there's grief in there that we've never fully processed. And so the grief comes out in other ways. Sometimes there's despair, sometimes there's joy. And we never took a moment to just let it have its expression. We never took a moment, maybe we finished something and we didn't say, I finished that because we were just on to the next thing. And so all of that is in there as well. A couple of years ago, there was this uh, warning, by the way, surfing story coming up. <laughs> a couple of years ago, there was a big swell that came in, um, and a couple of friends and I went down to this one spot that I had never surfed before to surf this uh, swell. And we paddle out, and I remember paddling out thinking, "Hey, I think these waves are really big." Um, These waves are like way bigger than any waves I've ever been in. And what I've observed is that surfers generally have a cap. There's generally a size of wave at which a surfer is, most surfers are comfortable, and then a size of wave bigger than that at which surfers essentially tap out. So I have friends who are like very good surfers who are like, they're, you know, I'm fine. They'll say like that they're fine up till 20 feet. And when the wave gets to be 20 feet, they're like, I think I'll stay on the beach. Um, And even the the people I know who are, like, great surfers have, like, there's a size where even they go, nah, I probably wouldn't paddle out. Um, And, I mean, for me, it's like anything over head high, and I just, I just, whoa, oh, man. But um, we paddle out, and I say to my friends, hey, how big are these waves? And I'll never forget my one friend saying, well, these are at least 10 and I just, oh, what am I doing? Because I'm a rubbish surfer. Uh, what I lack in skill, I make up for in joy, but I'm a rubbish surfer. And I'm out there like, oh, that, these are like houses coming. Like when the first big set came through, I was like, this is like a, these are like houses coming at me in the water. Um, and one came in and I paddled into it. And... What I didn't realize is we were surfing the end of the day. So the sun was just about to hit the horizon line. And uh, what I didn't realize is that when I dropped in on the wave, the wave would then be between me and the sun. And so I drop in on the wave and it gets dark. It's like dark in there. And the second thing I didn't realize is that that much water... The wave is breaking like right behind you because you're like right there tucked in on the shoulder of the wave. So the, the wave behind you, it's breaking and that's loud. It's like a lot of water, like twice as much water as I'd ever, size of a wave I'd ever been on. Um, that noise is, uh, well, I, I don't know what the word is, loud. So all of a sudden I'm like, wow, it's dark and loud in here and everything became really, really simple and focused. It was like, there was like this one voice of dialogue which was don't fall, don't fall, don't fall, stay up, stay up, stay, stay where you are, stay up, don't fall. So I take the wave in and there's this moment when, when you get to the, almost to shore and if you, you can pull out over the end of the wave right before it's done, and it's like, is seriously the greatest feeling you're. And so I pull out of it and paddle back out, uh, having had like the greatest ride of my life. And your body is so jacked with adrenaline. I'm so like euphoric. It's, it's like you're paddling, but you're also floating. Uh, now, here's, the, here's why I tell you this story. For probably three months after that, I would on a regular basis have like a full body shudder in the middle of the night. (laughs) Like I would wake up with like a, uh, and I hope that sound, I hope that sound conveys itself properly on a podcast, but like this, uh, like shudder. And it would be the middle of the night, I would be sleeping and suddenly I would be back on the wave. And it, But it wasn't the euphoria. It wasn't that transcendent feeling of riding an orbital pattern of water across the surface of the planet. It was a terror of, oh, if you fall, that's really going to be bad. And it happened the first time. I was like, well, that's weird. It happened the second time. I was like, huh, I wonder what that is. The third time it happened, I remember I began to think, I wonder what this is because essentially your body's talking to you all the time. I wonder what this is. And I began to realize over the next month or two when it kept happening, oh, it's like in the moment, I just had to get down the wave and then paddle back out. But then later, it's like my body had to process it. You know what I mean? It's like my body had to be like, can we talk about that? Because that was a little bit scary. It was like my body had to go back through and all of that suppressed terror had to essentially get expression. It's, like, it's, it's almost as if my body was like, seriously, Rob, we need to talk. <laughs> we we, we got to talk about what happened back there because you just kept going. But, but that, uh, there, we have some unresolved things we need to discuss. And the reason why I tell you that is because when uh, 2009, when my wife Kristen was pregnant with our daughter, she got this pregnancy-induced asthma where she could barely breathe. And, and we actually told about this in the book, Kristen and I wrote a book together about marriage called The Zim of Love. And uh, we actually tell the story of the book. What happened is something about being pregnant made it very, very, very hard for Kristen to breathe. And we went to tons of different doctors and they were all like, uh, yep, you have pregnancy-induced asthma. And I remember literally with one doctor saying, but how do we make it better? And the doctor's saying, I have no idea. I I just have no idea. Uh, But what it meant is Kristen would regularly throughout the day have moments when she couldn't get enough air. And she would try to breathe. She would have to get really still. And then she would try to take a breath. And then she would try to take another breath. But oftentimes when she felt it coming on, she would say, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I'm going to make it. And I would have to sit there helplessly, um, almost like willing her to breathe, um, not knowing. If, so we were in and out of the emergency room. It was, uh, it was terrifying, actually. And eventually, and so for Kristen, it was like every day, 20 or 30 times a day, she thought she was going to die. Um, And that was for the final three months of the pregnancy. And she had this oxygen tube, which didn't really help. Um, But then when our daughter was born, the asthma went away and she was fine. But here's what's interesting. Then, so we came back from the hospital and then we would start taking these walks and Kristen would need to tell the story all over again of what it was like to feel like she was gonna die because she couldn't get enough air Multiple times a day for days and weeks and months on end, and we would often go out for walks, and she would tar- start talking about it and start crying, and and then the next day we would go out and talk, walk, take another walk, and she would start talking about it again, and the tears would start coming. And I would say, "Tell, t- tell me, tell me more." The next day we would go out for a walk, and what we noticed is as we would go out for these walks and as she would talk about essentially this the trauma, um, ever so gradually over the next weeks, which turned into months, she would start to talk about it and there would be less tears and then gradually there were no tears. It, it was as if she had to talk the trauma out of her, body because it was in there and it needed expression. Uh, And she and I have often talked about how that's what happens in the course of life is people are mean and nasty. Um, You have uh, terror or trauma involving your physical body. You have massive financial stress Uh, sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes it's joy. Sometimes it's accomplishment. Sometimes it's arrival. You finally made it. Sometimes it's, oh, we did it. That like we launched that kid or, oh my word, that business, we actually had that idea and it actually happened. Sometimes it's the terrifying. Sometimes it's the celebratory and sometimes it's something in between, but it's in there somewhere. And if you don't create the space for it to be processed and be given whatever expression it needs, then it's in there somewhere. See, for many people, the body is their how they think of themselves. That's the boundary. And so the bodies of your boundary are the bodies of yourself. But it's probably better to see yourself as a wider phenomenon of desire and memory and consciousness and will um, and ambition and... Sorrow. It's probably better to see yourself as a larger phenomenon, and your body is something that's happening within you. You like that? Uh, your your body is something happening within the larger phenomenon that is you. And so, what happens is you and I have these experiences, and if we aren't careful, they just stay in there, and yet. They're almost like knots that be, need to be untied or unresolved energy that's just trying to find some way to, to express itself. And if it, we don't create the space for all of that to do what it needs to do, then it's still in there. And oftentimes then it expresses itself in all sorts of destructive ways. Sometimes we have no idea why we get furious about, about certain things. They're like triggers for us. Um, And we don't understand why that person makes us so angry or that topic we get so cranked up about. And it's because it's connected with something that's present within us. We just haven't uncovered what it is. And so it's just like pinging. It's just reacting. It's like radar. Yeah, and the reason why I tell you that is because we are living in a culture where we are surrounded by this new technology that is so incredibly seductive and tempting and sticky that in those gaps, in those little spaces, when we might actually have a moment to think, to process, to reflect, to ponder, to meditate, to pray, to be contemplative, why when you can check your Facebook page on your phone? And so what happens is we are being bombarded all day long with added stimuli in the exact spaces where we probably need the silence. And what happened to me, starting at the end of November, beginning of December, is I created all this space and all this stuff went... It's basically all this stuff that had happened to me in the previous year went, hey, Rob, we need to talk about this. (laughs) I'm in here and we need to talk. Um, And when I intentionally... Uh, left screenland. I became aware of a world happening within me. I literally, there was an event. Oh my word, I started realizing uh, and I started I started carrying a pen and notebook. Can you hear that? I'm on my third notebook since December, by the way. I started using a pen today's pen. Can you hear that? Is a Mount Blanc, a Mount Blanc. And uh, this is actually a Shinola made in Detroit notebook um, that I have the notes for this episode. But I started just capturing and writing down all the things that were flooded. And I would have stuff that I was like, oh my word, that's in there. I remember, this is probably mid-December. I remember I had done an event in a city that shall remain nameless, talked for seven hours. And then <laughs> afterwards, there's a line of people that wanted to talk. And it's... So I've been talking for seven hours, and I'm getting ready to go to the airport to go home. But there's a lot of people that want to talk. So I'm talking and meeting all of these fantastic people. Second dude in line. And I'm feeling slightly talked out by then. Are you with me on this? I'm kind of tired of talking. Second, And I've been taking questions all day in among the talks I was giving. Part of the tour was I would talk and then take questions and then talk and then take more questions. And so at that point, I probably answered I don't know how many questions. Second dude in line says... Hey, great to meet you. That was really great today. Um, I just have three questions. (laughs) Oh, and I remember at the time thinking, are are you serious? Really? Seriously? Like I didn't answer enough questions. Like I just talked for seven hours and your thought is, I think I'll just talk to Rob and say to him, hey, I just only have three more questions. Do you have like... There, there's this sort of, how stupid are you? Do you know what I mean? Like there's that sort of dialogue. But of course, you know, I was trained as a pastor. So I was trained like in the school of politeness, whatever you do, you just sort of take it. You take it on the chin for Jesus. You know what I'm saying? So I still have some of those impulses lurking in me that are basically like, oh, really? Well, um, can you ask them quick, quickly? Or I don't even know what I said. Something nice and polite and pastoral when what was going on inside of me was, are you the dumbest person I've ever met? Do you really think I want to answer your three questions after talking for what? You know what I mean. But that was in there, and on a random day in December, I'm like, "Oh, uh, that's in there." Frustration, anger, uh, exhaustion. Well, like, like, oftentimes, by the way, have you noticed when you do create space for what's going on inside of you? It's this weird, like, vitamixed. Blend of emotions. There's sadness and and joy and satisfaction and anger. There's all this stuff that's in there that's just sort of mixed in. It's like a soup. Or I remember uh, I had just done an event, like a workshop, where I talked about communication for three hours. Um, How do you put together a talk? How do you memorize a talk? How do you take a bunch of ideas and actually give them some structure and form so that you could give it to people? How do you, where do ideas come from? I did, I had just done a three hour stretch on communicating and a woman walked up to me and said, so uh, do you have any thoughts on communicating? (laughs) Oh my word do you have any thoughts on communicating? She had just been sitting there for three hours while I did three hours on communicating. So, do you have any thoughts? (laughs) I can't even say it without laughing. And you have your own stuff, obviously, and it goes from the funny and the weird and the annoying and the frustrating all the way to the tense and the dangerous, the traumatic moments when perhaps it was an issue of physical health, moments when it was the health of another. It's all in there and the reason why i talk about all this is about because last week i went to the dmv with my son our our, our son our 16 year old son um is uh going through the process of getting his permit so he can get his driver's license so we go he and i go to the dmv last week department of motor vehicles um and there's that old prime i can't say dmv without thinking of that old primus song i've been to hell they call it dmv Uh, the california department of motor vehicles so we go so that he can wait in line in order to make an appointment to come back and wait in line for another appointment so it is efficient to say the least (laughs) and there are masses of humanity also bathing in the inefficiency of this particular bureaucracy and by the way 31 million registered cars in california Unbelievable. That's the kind of thing you learn when you're sitting there at the DMV. So I go with him. I bring a book with me because I know it might be a while and he waits in various lines and talks to this person who sends him to this line and uh, I notice at the DMV that there are screens set up around the DMV a bit like um, sports screens on the television in a sports bar. You know what I mean? Like there are these screens around and the screens are the DMVs Um, like there, once in a while it would show a fact, like 31 million cars are registered in California, but then, um, and then sometimes it would show headlines, like news headlines, but then it would show commercials. Um, So in the DMV are screens showing commercials. But then there also was a screen that would come up every once in a while, a slide that said, the DMV in the state of California do not endorse the products that are being advertised on these screens. That was its own screen was you're going to come to the DMV to do something involving your car. You're going to have, there are going to be screens all around you showing you commercials, but we just want you to know that none of those products, are, um, those commercials don't mean that we endorse those. Pro- <laughs> so you're like, what we live in Screenland. Are you with me on this? Like the absurdity of the messages this screen, or you check in at the airport now, and there's basically an iPad on a stand, and you used to talk to a ticketing agent. Now there's an agent standing next to the screen while you push the buttons on the screen. And here's why I tell you this. Billions and billions of dollars are being spent to get our eyes Billions of dollars are spent to get us spending more time on a screen. It, it is it is so pervasive. Or you think about social media, billions and billions and billions of dollars are being spent to lure us into participation because every single time we click, we are giving somebody somewhere data. And I know this is starting to sound a little bit conspiracy-ish, but just stay with me because Screenland is the new norm you're at the dmv and there are literally commercials hanging from the ceiling and here's why this is interesting this has never happened in the history of humanity this has never happened human beings have never had this much effort capital money expertise and creativity being spent to fill all of those little gaps And moments of maybe boredom that happen throughout the day. Moments when you might spend some time reflecting, pondering, wondering, processing, feeling, gaining insight and understanding about what is present within you. Think about how much of the subtext, because everything is about stories. Think of how many of the advertisements about how you can now watch sports on all your different devices, how you can now get movies on the go, how you cannot. think about how many of it is you'll never be bored again. Think about how many times you are told the story with this new piece of technology that is wireless, that is transportable, that goes wherever you go, that gets you all of uh, the endless movies, shows, whatever it is, keeps you connected, you'll never be bored again. You'll never be bored again. You'll never be bored again. But the problem spiritually is that those spaces of would-be perceived boredom are the spaces where you and I deal with the stuff going on inside of you. The problem is all of those spaces when you're not staring at a screen are opportunities to explore the vast interior that is called the soul. And so we have more ways to connect than ever and we are less connected with ourselves than ever. Think of the difficulty of being in a relationship, a long-term relationship. If there is a world of things that you are carrying around that you aren't aware of and you are trying to interact with somebody who has a world of things that they are carrying around, trauma, joy, anger frustrated ambition, wounds, whatever it is. And the two of you are living in a culture that is unique in the history of our species where billions of dollars are spent that you could just fill every one of those little gaps and never have to go a layer deep, two layers deep, three layers deep. I was on an overnight flight to London, LAX to Heathrow, which is what, 11 hours? The dude next to me was on his computer doing email, went the whole flight, it was an all night flight. I'm like, first off, let's eat, let's watch some movies, let's go to sleep. Every single time I woke up, that guy went the entire, he worked straight through without coming up for air or taking a break all night long. You can now do email. And stay connected in the middle of the night, 30,000 feet above the Atlantic Ocean. And here's the thing. Not all of this is making us smarter and more insightful and wiser. Some of all of this is actually disconnecting us from the depth. Of our own pain loss joy heart soul there's this great line in the psalms or the psalm writers the collection of poems and prayers in the middle of the bible the writer says when i kept silence my bones grew weary the writer is talking about ways he had wronged others um, but it could be whatever you're carrying around when i kept silent. When I didn't confess, when I didn't drag it up, when I didn't dig it up, when I didn't give it expression, when I just kept it down in there, my bones, my bones. So you have ancient Hebrews understanding that you are an integrated being and all of this experience and these experiences that you are having, it's like you're storing them in your body. You're storing them in your bones. People even talk about a pain body, the ways in which unprocessed trauma is just lingering at like a molecular cellular level. Now there's all sorts of fascinating, very wise, intelligent people who are talking um, and have given all sorts of interesting language to this. Or I love it in the Psalms, there's one line that says, be still and know that I am God. And if you think about the divine as ground of being, as source, uh, as that of which nothing greater can be conceived uh, that of ultimate absolute being in its most pure unadulterated form how do you how do you stay grounded and centered? How do you not get thrown and tossed by every wave that comes your way? Be still, be still. be still, be still, be still. and and Jesus talked about this I guess this great line about What comes out of your heart, that's what makes you unclean. He's talking to this this religious establishment who have very strict rules about clean and unclean and cleaning the outside, but he keeps talking about what comes out of the heart is where things are stored up. Yes, my friends, we need to reclaim the importance of boredom. We need to reclaim the importance of those moments, the gaps, when you have an extra 10 seconds, an extra minute, an extra four minutes, an extra two hours. And all with that is within you... And, and, and the really interesting thing is you are actually far more interesting than you realize. For, for many people who are unaccustomed to probing and exploring the inner life, nothing sounds m- more boring than silence, stillness, meditation, calm. Nothing sounds more boring than just sitting and staring straight ahead. Uh, but actually you are fascinating. The reason I know that is because I often meet people and I just begin asking them questions about their lives. And it's so interesting how often people will say things that are fascinating and I'll say, wow, that's really interesting. And say, they'll say, it is? I, I never thought about it. Yeah, that's the problem. That's the problem. You are far more interesting than you realize. So a couple of very practical ways to think about all this. Um, first off, in reference to your uh, the machine that you carry around everywhere you go, also known as the cell phone, uh, one of the most, I mean, this is, this is like 101 leaving Screenland, but can be incredibly helpful is just to ask yourself, do I need it? Now, obviously, some people need it all day long for their work, for their kids, for whatever it is. Got it. I totally get it. But one of the more interesting things is simply to ask yourself at key times, do I need this? Like you're going into a restaurant to meet a friend. Do you need the phone? Cause you could leave it in your car. You could just leave it in your car and you could come back out afterwards and it would probably still be in your car. Or when you leave work, uh, do you need to have it on? Even for the commute, does it need to be on? Even for just a three hour window, especially if you have kids, uh, you could always check it in two hours. Do you need it? Secondly, what, um, what I love is to have pen and paper. Um, so here's something you can try, all my Robcast friends. Try this, um, find a notebook and a pen and carry that with you and ask yourself in the course of your day, do I need my phone? And if you think, well, I actually don't need it for the next 15 minutes. I don't need it for the next half hour. I don't need it. Um, But carry the notebook and pen with you and notice what's happening inside of you. Notice if any recollections or memories or events come to the surface. It's been shocking to me how many awkward, painful, unreconciled, strange interactions I have, like we all do, because we live in the world (laughs) with other human peoples. Um, It's fascinating to me how often something will come to mind, and I will realize that in the moment, that was like a massive stressor. And I just kept going, because you you have to, because you got to go to the next thing. And I'll discover a whole world that was present in that interaction. Oh, I was angry. They were... This, I was this, they were this. I wonder if that's what they meant by that. All of this is going on just below the surface. I'm telling you, this this is like the closest I get to a guarantee or a promise. Uh, You try this. You try practicing the importance of boredom. You untether yourself from your digital temptations even little bursts, and you carry with you some way to record, to express, to capture, to process, to think about what's happening inside of you. You get rid of your edit button and just, oh, I'm absolutely furious with so-and-so, and and you just start writing. You just write every last thought you can think about that. I, I, I promise you, you will be shocked at what you're carrying around. And when you get it out, the freedom, the cleansing the purification, the detoxing, the lightness, the insight, I absolutely guarantee you will will floor you. you. You will be shocked. There you go. I think that's the first guarantee I've ever made here on the Robcast. <laughs> but it's true. It's totally true. You And the things you will learn about yourself. If you practice just a little importance of boredom, just a little, uh, and and then once you're in, you know, once you see, you can't unsee. Once you taste, you can't untaste. Um, and th- and that leads me one more thought. Uh, and this is a question that you can ask yourself again and again, almost like a mantra. What am I carrying around? What am I carrying you around? Because memory, trauma, anger, frustration. Uh, when you when you have that and it's from the past, then at some level you're carrying it. And this, of course, raises questions about do thoughts have matter, et cetera, et cetera, which gets you into noetics and all sorts of interesting fields of thought. But nevertheless, think about this. If if you had a painful breakup, and that breakup is still, it's like it still lingers around your heart. Do you know what I mean? Uh, then at some level, you are carrying it around with you. And some would say, well, yeah, it's just in your brain or it's just wherever you store memories or it's just in that part of the cerebral, card. fine, fine, whatever it is. However you think about that, you're carrying it around. You're carrying it around at some level. And when you ask questions like, what am I carrying around? Um, and this is also goes for good things. Sometimes we worked really, really, really hard. And the thing that we worked really hard for, it's now done or that phase of it is complete. And we never celebrated. I I, I can't even tell you how this has been a recurring struggle for me is is to work really, really, really hard and then to finish something and then I just race to the next thing. And I don't, and I haven't had a pattern of creating space just to go, that's done. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well done. (laughs) And I'm learning you don't do that and you're missing something. It's like... It's like unexpressed joy um, can be just as toxic as unexpressed pain, anger, frustration, loss, worry, betrayal, et cetera. Um, what am I carrying around? And so, and when it does announce itself, cause it will announce itself, you pursue it. You see where it leads. Uh, sometimes I'll take a sheet of paper and I'll just start writing about that moment. That moment that for whatever reason came to my mind. Oh, I was tired. And then that person said that. And in the moment, actually, I wanted to yell at them. I wanted to ask them how blind, how did they get so stupid? Oh, wow. Oh, man, look at that. Look what's in there. Whoa. It's like a downed power line. You grab hold of that, and you will find charge and electricity. Uh, And then you pursue it, and you pursue it, and you go all the way into it. Uh, I'm a seven on the Enneagram, so, you know, denial's been my drug of choice. So that is where in unhealth, I just pretend everything's fine. Hey, welcome to episode whatever, let's go everybody. Here we go, everything's great. Um, And so I have to be particularly attuned to moments when it wasn't great, it wasn't right. I was uh, in great pain. And I just pretended like things were fine and I just kept dancing. So for me, I know to pursue those. Oh, there's a ton of pain there. Are we really going to open that door? Yes, we are going to open that door because you do that. And here's the thing you do that, you name it, you see it, you feel it because at the time you refuse to feel it. And then here's the thing you're no longer carrying it around, it's now reconciled, it's now expressed. It's now not a mystery. And that, my friends, that will set you free. That's the importance of boredom, is you begin to discover all that's going on inside of you and you begin to become free in ways you never knew. That is the importance of boredom. You begin to meet the divine ground of being. Be still and know that I am God. You begin to find out what comes out of your heart. You begin to find all these things that you're carrying around in there. Oh, man, and then you name it. And it's no longer a giant hairball of mystery and ambiguity and pain. It's There's clarity. There's understanding. There's peacemaking. There's reconciliation. There's light where it was dark. And now you are free in some way. We are living in a world in which human beings... In a way that's never happened in our history are being fire hosed with digital stimuli all day long billions of dollars are spent to get your eyeballs in all of those moments those gaps those little spaces when you have freedom of intention and it's making us, we've seen 16 YouTube videos today, and yet we don't understand why we were angry last week. And let's ten- turn that around, my friends. Let's turn that around. Let's go the other direction. Let's go analog. Let's untether ourselves. Let's leave Screenland when we can. And of course, ESPN.com, I will still be going. We're not like like neo-Luddites here. Uh, we're not completely unplugging, but we are learning what this is doing to us. And so we are heading the other direction at key moments for key reasons because we want to be free. Yeah, we want to be free. And that, my friends, is the importance of boredom. Grace and peace, everybody.